Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Nationwide. Be sure to stay tuned till the end where you will meet David Scotton, the young man portrayed in the movie Life Mark. When a state judge blocked Ohio's heartbeat law on September 14th, Abortion sellers who were planning to close up shop instead started scheduling new appointments. At preterm, an abortion business in Cleveland, appointments have doubled. A Planned Parenthood in Waukegan, Illinois, has increased the number of appointments available to keep up with the surge of women coming from Wisconsin, where abortion was halted after Roe v. Wade was overturned in June. At another Planned Parenthood, this one in Champaign, Illinois, plans are in the works to double the killing center's capacity to perform abortion. Surgical abortion is now available there for the first time. At the Trust Women Abortion Business in Wichita, Kansas, women are being turned away because there are no appointments available. An employee there said they could do abortion 24 hours a day and still not meet the demand. This abortion boom in the states that don't restrict the procedure is good for those who profit from the death of the unborn. But an overbooked abortion mill is not only deadly for babies, but also unsafe and potentially lethal for the mothers choosing abortion. Just the thought of preterm in Cleveland doubling the number of abortions is unfathomable. Pro-lifers might remember preterm's role in the death of Lakeisha Wilson, a 22-year-old who died after a botched second trimester abortion in 2014. She was bleeding heavily and her heart had stopped before an ambulance was called. When paramedics arrived, they found a broken elevator and no emergency access to the third floor abortion mill. They were able to revive Lakeisha, but she died a week later in the hospital. Abortion mills are notorious for their assembly line method of dealing with patients, and over the years, many of them have cited, been cited for horrific safety violations. A New Jersey facility was found to have a quarter inch of dust on the floor and rusty crochet hooks used for removing IUDs. Health inspectors in Michigan found blood on the walls and floor of a Muskegon abortion mill. Abortion is the most unregulated industry in the United States, so it's very concerning to know many of these killing centers are operating beyond their abilities. Decades ago, Carol Everett was hired to sell abortions at two Dallas abortion mills, and she spoke to Janet Miranda this week about how patient care suffered when these facilities operated beyond peak capacity. We are not suggesting that any of the facilities we've named are failing to sterilize their equipment, but Ms. Everett's insider look at an industry built around the death of babies is certainly eye-opening. And else we don't talk about, that we need to talk about, and that's instruments. Okay, we had 21 sets of instruments. If we had 50 people scheduled tomorrow, how are we going to get through with just 21 sets of instruments? And so for the first 21, you have sterilized instruments. Yes, they are sterilized in the beginning. And then you start turning them so fast because those doctors want to do 10 to 12 abortions an hour. 10 to 12 first trimesters an hour. And so you have one or two doctors working. Pretty soon you're out of instruments. So what do you do? Well, that girl in Central Supply washes the instruments. She doesn't have, at first she puts them in the sterilizer and sterilizes them. So when they come out, they're very hot. So even the doctor can't pick the instruments up. So he uses four by four sponges as a, as a hot pad, as a heating pad. I mean, a, a pot holder. And he then does the abortion. So he's he's using this instrument that would sear anything, even his hand, and he's searing that woman's cervix as he dilates it. Think about the damage we did 
to those women just with hot instruments. And then you get to the point that you can't sterilize them that fast because you're getting to the end. So they just drop them, they clean them, drop them in side eggs. It's supposed to stay in there for a long time. They leave them in there just long. It's also a terrible, terrible, um, no medical clinic operates that way. No ambulatory surgical facility would operate that way. Yet this is the most commonly performed surgical procedure in the nation, second only to circumcision. Women's lives are at risk every day in an abortion clinic. Of infections wow. and, 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 and then in most states, they, abortion doesn't fall under any other medical, medical standards unless the state has taken the time to regulate them. So they may not have hot water. They may be using rust, rusted instruments. Who knows what all is going on? And who knows what the infections are when they leave because there's no follow-up care. Abortion clinics are not there for follow-up care. They're there for a one-time visit. For the full interview with Ms. Everett, who has left the abortion industry and is part of the pregnancy help movement, please tune in to Just Ask Janet on Monday, September 26th. And now we turn to political news around the country. 25 million Christians who are registered to vote do not vote in presidential elections, and 15 million more are not registered to vote at all. And as many as 65 million Christians do not vote in local elections. Because of these shocking statistics, Faith and Freedom Coalition and My Faith Votes will be spending large amounts of money to get Christians off the sidelines this election cycle in order to impact issues such as abortion, marriage, parental rights, religious freedom, education, and other public policies affecting the, po the family. Election day is November 8th. If you're not registered to vote or are not sure if you are registered, please visit vote.gov. Stacey Abrams revealed her support Wednesday for abortions being conducted all the way up until the time of birth in some circumstances. During an appearance on The View, Abrams said abortion is a decision that should be made between a woman and her doctor, that viability is the metric, and that if a woman's health or life is in danger, then viability extends until the time of birth. She did not elaborate on what constitutes a woman's health or life being in danger. Abrahams is running as the Democratic candidate in the Georgia gubernatorial election. She is vying for votes against incumbent Republican Governor Brian Kemp, to whom she lost the last gubernatorial election and famously refused to concede. Here is what Stacey Abrams said on The View. Before you came out, we've been discussing um, the, the Supreme Court's uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, and I wanted to get a sense of, you know, Governor Kemp had signed into law in 2019, uh, a ban on abortion after six weeks. Uh, growing up, you were anti-abortion, in my understanding. You're, you're now pro-choice. You've been outspoken about that. Do you think there should be any legal limits on abortion, such as the third trimester or viability? I believe that abortion is a medical decision, not a political decision. Thank you. And arbitrary... Arbitrary, arbitrary, politically defined timelines are deeply problematic because they ignore the reality of medical and physiological issues. Mm -hmm. For example, a six-week ban 
tells women that they have to make reproductive choices before they know they're pregnant. Yeah. And that arbitrariness extends into these artificial timelines. What I believe is that it's a decision that should be made b between a woman and her doctor, that viability is the metric, and that if a woman's health or life is in danger, then viability extends until the time of birth. But women do not make this choice lightly. Herschel Walker, Republican U.S. Senate hopeful, broke with other national Republicans by saying he would support Senator Lindsey Graham's 15-week national abortion ban proposal. Graham argued that his proposal, which has exceptions in cases of rape, incest, and saving the life of the mother, is in line with the view of most voters and will help the GOP in the upcoming elections. But Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, a Republican, said at a press conference that the party would not unite around Graham's proposal, saying, I think most of the members of my conference prefer that this be dealt with at the state level, the examiner reported. Blake Masters, the GOP candidate for U.S. Senate in Arizona, also supports Graham's proposal. Other Republican senators made similar statements with Texas Senator John Cornyn, insinuating that Graham had gone rogue and telling Politico that his proposal wasn't a conference decision. It was an individual senator's decision. Senator Shelley Moore Capito, Republican from West Virginia, added that she doesn't think there's much of an appetite to go that direction and that regulation is best left to the states, according to the examiner. Nevada's Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak says he will order his administration to not comply with a national abortion ban. In a statement, Sisolak said, if a national abortion ban passes, I will immediately direct my administration to not comply and pursue every legal option available to protect Nevadans' statutory right to an abortion, including by codifying my executive order in a second term to protect providers and out-of-state patients who travel to the Silver State for reproductive care. Any bill would need 60 votes to bypass the Senate's filibuster, which would be unlikely, even if Republicans retake the majority in the midterms. There are 45 days till the midterm elections. Be sure to register and get out there and vote. And that's political news in a nutshell. Voters in Florida might have an opportunity in 2024 to vote on a constitutional amendment that would protect the unborn from abortion. Mark Mink is the chairman of Protect Human Life Florida, the organization working to collect enough signatures to get the Human Life Protection Amendment on the ballot. I had an opportunity to speak to Mark about this life-saving initiative and how he came to lead it. Well, hi, Mark. Welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Hey, Leslie. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. So I listened to a radio interview you did about a year ago and learned that you have a fascinating story. Can you tell us about what you described as your here I am, Lord, send me moment in 2018? Oh, I'd be glad to. I attended a men's prayer breakfast in the Gainesville area. There were about 100 men there, a lot of churches represented, uh, a lot of passionate men on the issue of life. And uh, speakers that day were very compelling. Uh, I'd been a pro-life guy my whole life, especially having been adopted as an infant. And I found myself uh, unexpectedly really just uh, challenged uh, to the deepest level of my being on this issue of the protection of human life. I'd always been convicted but there were some men there that challenged us to do what the Lord put on their heart. And I just had a very strong sense that I was supposed to take more action than I had been. I feel like a transition from conviction to anguish. And, you know, a friend of mine said that when you're convicted about something, you can be convicted and not take action. But when you're anguished, there's no way to not take action. When you, when you reach a point of anguish, you have to act. And that's what happened to me that morning. And it led to what I'm doing today with the Human Life Protection Amendment. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic. So to generalize a bit, you were frustrated with the lack of uh, progress on protecting the unborn on a legislative level, and you decided on a, a ballot amendment as a sort of, a, you described it as a legislative bypass surgery. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. You heard <laughs> correctly. It's the uh, easiest way to help people understand what we're doing. Go right around the process in Tallahassee uh, and put the issue right in front of the people of Florida. Okay. And originally you had hoped to have this on the ballot this year, right? Yes, that's correct. We wanted to be on the ballot this fall, and we did not qualify for ballot placement. In fact, for what it's worth, there was not a single citizen initiative that qualified for ballot placement. So the only proposed amendments that are going to be on the ballot this fall are those that were placed by the Florida legislature. Oh, interesting. All right. And so now you've tried it. Now you're, you're trying it again for 2024. Is there is it a different amendment than it was? It is different. We've really focused our our uh objective exclusively on the preborn. Our last objective dealt with age and illness and disability, all from the point of a detectable heartbeat. We had done some data testing. Obviously, this is before Roe was reversed. Uh, we were looking for language that we believed could qualify with the 60% approval on the ballot uh, that it requires to pass an amendment. But when Roe was reversed, and when the Florida legislature passed a 15-week ban instead of something more protective, we realized that the urgency of the hour really demanded that we focus exclusively on preborn life. So we wrote, we rewrote our ballot summary and our full proposed text of our proposed amendment to provide protection for preborn life from the point of conception through the entire pregnancy uh, within the Florida Constitution. What, so what does the amendment actually say? So I've got a I've got a copy of the amendment here. This is actually the full text of the amendment, which is available on our website. I'm going to read the ballot summary to you. I've got it too. <laughs> You're well prepared. So the ballot summary is a summary of the proposed amendment, and the state of Florida dictates how this all plays out. And so we had to summarize our full text of our amendment in 75 words or less. And so this is what will appear on the ballot. And this is what's on our petition. The ballot title is Human Life Protection Amendment. And the ballot summary says, an amendment recognizing the God-given right to life of the preborn individual defines preborn individual as a preborn human person at any stage of development, affirms that life-saving procedures to save the life of the mother shall not be construed as a violation when accompanied by reasonable steps to save the life of the preborn individual to be added to the Declaration of Rights under Article One of the Florida Constitution. All right, then. And so now I think uh, August 12th, I believe the Florida Department of State approved this whole process for you. So is that when you started collecting signatures? That's correct. What we had to do was submit our language to them. They had to make sure that it fit all the parameters to qualify for placement on the petition. And on August 12th, they sent us an email and told us that we had an approved petition that was ready to circulate. And in fact, two days ago, uh, it was 500 days until the deadline. So the deadline is February 1st of 2024. And so between now and February 1st of 2024, we need to secure 891,589 validated petitions from Florida voters to qualify for ballot placement in 2024. All right, and how's it going so far? Well, it's going great. We're, we're, we've got folks all over the state that are interested in helping us. And for the mm -hmm. sake of your viewers, I want to give you some data points that I think are important. According oh, to the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, there are 1,855,836 Catholics in Florida in 475 parishes. So wow. let's do some easy math. 
<laughs> if we take half of those Catholic numbers, we have enough to qualify. If you take half of the 1,855,836, if half of them would go to our website today, print the petition out, complete it, sign it, and mail it to us, we'd have more than enough to qualify for ballot placement. And if even half of the parishes would print, say, 500 petitions, that's a ream of paper. For $8, they could print 500 petitions, ask those in their parishes to take them out into the community and get them signed and turn them back in. That'd be 120000 So it, it's so doable. It's we doable. Just it's definitely doable. We just yeah. got to get the word out. So for just an individual who wants to sign, they just go to the website? That's correct. They can go to humanlifefl.com, humanlifefl.com, like you see on the screen, mm -hmm. and they can print the petition out. Now, the state of Florida dictates that it has to be the actual signature. We, you know, we live in an electronic age, but yet we're still working in a process that requires a paper petition be signed and sent in. So we mm -hmm. have to submit the original petition. So it makes it harder, but it's easy enough for someone that wants to sign the petition. All they have to do is go to the website, print it out. It takes them about one minute to complete it. They put a little bit of information on it. They sign it. Now, they do need to be a registered voter. And then right. the address is on the petition itself. They can put that in an envelope, throw a stamp on it, send it back to us, and then we'll submit it to the supervisor of elections on their behalf. So you either have to put your voter registration number or your date of birth. Is that right? That's correct. And I've found that most people don't even know where their voter registration is. So that's what I'm worried. That's what I worried about when I saw it. Right, <laughs> but I do right. know when my birthday is. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you get the signatures that you need um, and that Floridians have an opportunity to vote on this because it's so important. But just on another topic, what do you think of the 15 week ban? Or you think I feel like we're a liberal in a sea of, of, of better protections. Yeah. You know, the 15 week ban is a step in the right direction, but I think the easiest way to analogize it is it's being, it's like being deep in your end zone. You get a hundred yards to go to score a touchdown and you run a five yard play. That's mm -hmm. what the 15 week ban does because according to the agency for healthcare administration, in fact, I've got some real numbers right here. I'll share with you last year in Florida, the agency for healthcare administration, reported 79,817, what they refer to as induced terminations of pregnancy. 94% of those, 94% of those took place before 15 weeks gestation. Right. Mm -hmm. So the 15 week ban is a step in the right direction, but it's not nearly enough to protect enough life in Florida. And I think what's important for your viewers to understand is when you compare legislative approach to this with a constitutional approach, the Florida Constitution, the entire document is 99 pages. And that's with every amendment that's been proposed and passed since it was ratified in 1968. So you've got a 54-year-old document that mm -hmm. governs the state of Florida that's 99 pages. Last year in Florida, the Florida legislature passed 269 bills that were signed into law for a total of 2,647 pages. <laughs> So legislation comes and goes, lawmakers come and go, governors come and go, but the Florida Constitution is the document where the protection for preborn life needs to be solidified since it's absent and not there. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great to meet you, Mark, and thank you for everything you're doing for life, and I hope you succeed. Leslie, thank you. We're so grateful to you and the entire team of Priests for Life, Father Frank, and everyone there just doing a great work. And so God bless you all, and thank you for the opportunity to share with your viewers today. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
Priests for Life wants you to come with us on the road as we minister to the pro-life movement nationwide. We would like to share with you some of our activities over the past month. On August 20th, Father Frank traveled to Georgia where he was the keynote speaker at the, at the 14th annual Southern Evening for Life Gala. Father Frank had the opportunity to meet with George Voziak, director of the Greater Augusta Chapter of Georgia Right to Life. And he was also able to spend time with Father Mike Ingram, the pastor of St. Teresa of Avila in Grovetown, Georgia, and visit with some brother priests of the Savannah Diocese. On Sunday, August 21st, Father Frank returned to Florida from Georgia and had the opportunity to lead the opening prayer at a rally where the school board candidates in Volusia County spoke along with Governor Ron DeSantis. Our video team, along with Father Frank, went to the JMJ Pregnancy Center in Orlando. Many interviews were recorded with various members at three locations in Orlando and Kissimmee. JMJ supports the God-given right of every pregnant woman to give birth and the right of every unborn child to be born. The team was also able to tape an actual ultrasound. Here's a photo of Father Frank with the client and the ultrasound nurse. Stay tuned as we will be sharing some of this precious footage in weeks to come. Father Dennis Wilde, the Associate Director of Priests for Life, and Father Frank Pavone attended the Silent No More campaign at the Pennsylvania March for Life 2022. The event took place on September 19th, and it was the first march since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and the crowd was out in full force celebrating this decision. Father Frank spoke to the crowd of over 5,000 attendees of the march at the Silent No More gathering. As you can see, our team has been very busy educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community. We hope this glimpse into Priests for Life on the Road will inspire and encourage you as much as the events themselves inspire and encourage us. An Indiana judge yesterday blocked the state's abortion ban from being enforced, putting the new law on hold one week after it was enacted. Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers challenged the law, saying it violates the state constitution. Indiana was the first state to enact tighter abortion restrictions since the U.S. Supreme Court eliminated federal abortion protections by overturning Roe v. Wade in June. Pregnancy resource centers continue to be in the news this week. On Tuesday, House Republicans Chris Smith of New Jersey and Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington State introduced a bill calling for the Biden administration to publicly disclose how it is investigating and prosecuting the violent extremists who have targeted the centers since the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked in May. Life News has recorded more than 100 acts of violence against pregnancy centers. The pro-abortion group Jane's Revenge has claimed credit for some of the attacks, but not a single arrest has been made. Smith said the Protect Pregnancy Care Centers Act of 2022 is needed to safeguard the nearly 3,000 such centers across the country that offer real alternatives to abortion. The Charlotte Lozier Institute estimates that more than 828,000 babies have been saved through the work of these centers. The bill would require the Inspector Generals of the Justice Department and Homeland Security to investigate and disclose to Congress information on the Biden administration's response to the pregnancy center attacks, including details gathered on groups that have claimed responsibility and the number of prosecutions initiated. The Democrat-led House is unlikely to vote on this bill, and in fact, in July, House Democrats blocked a resolution condemning the violence against the centers. Meanwhile, in the Senate, Democrat abortion activists led by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren wrote to Heartbeat International, accusing the group of plotting to use information gathered on clients of its 2,800 pregnancy help centers to prosecute those who later choose abortion. The letter was addressed to Jarell Godsey, president of Heartbeat, and demanded answers to a dozen questions by October 3rd. He responded with a statement that called out the senators for the naked politics evident in their inquiry. It is clearly a, a stunt designed to appease big abortion power brokers, Godsey said. 
pro-lifers in Arizona are waiting for a judge in Pima County to decide whether or not to allow an abortion ban passed in 1864 to be enacted. The law has been blocked since 1973, but when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Attorney General Mark Brinovich asked the court to lift the injunction. The law mandates two to five years in prison for those who perform abortion, except to save the life of the mother. Pima County Superior Court Judge Kelly Johnson's decision is expected any day. Wisconsin's Democratic Governor Tony Evers has called legislators back into session on Tuesday, October 4th, and is urging them to repeal the 1849 law that outlawed abortion in the state. Evers is proposing a constitutional amendment that would allow Wisconsin residents to vote on statewide referendums. The Assembly Speaker and Senate Majority Leader have labeled Evers' efforts a desperate political stunt as he runs for re-election against pro-life Republican Tim Michaels, who supports the state's abortion ban. On the international level, <clears throat> excuse me, the United Nations this month passed a resolution defining abortion as a human right. The United States and the European Union were among the more than 80 nations to co-sponsor the resolution that says human rights, quote, include the right to have control over and decide freely and responsibly on matters related to sexuality. The resolution includes modern contraception, emergency contraception, and safe abortion in a list of rights entitled to women. 33 nations, primarily in Africa, oppose the resolution. And finally, wasn't it an abortion or wasn't it? The model Chrissy Teigen issued a bizarre update to the miscarriage she had in 2020 with her husband, the singer John Legend. She now says it was an abortion. She was 20 weeks pregnant with her third child when, she said, it became very clear around halfway through that he would not survive and that I wouldn't either without any medical intervention. She later said the baby was born prematurely and died. Now she's saying he was intentionally killed, which she did not realize at the time. We will never know what actually happened, but Tegan's timing was interesting, with her announcement coming just weeks before elections in which the abortion issue will play an outsized role. Tegan is currently pregnant again and reported on Wednesday that she can finally feel her baby moving so she will no longer need her daily drive-by ultrasounds. And corrected. Last week I reported that the pro-life movie Lifemark was out of theaters after its one-week run, but I read the next day that 1,100 of the 1,500 theaters that screened the film asked to keep it for a second week. It has earned more than $4.3 million to date. Reviews from more than 1,000 viewers gave the film a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and four film critics also gave the movie a thumbs up. The movie is based on the life of Louisiana resident David Scotton, a story first told in the documentary, I Lived on Parker Avenue. Recently, the news outlet Movie Guide caught up with David at a Lifemark screening to ask him how he feels knowing his life story is impacting other people. Let's watch the clip. It's an interesting moment for you, right? Because this is the movie based on your life. Oh my gosh, it's surreal. Uh, to go from a kid who never wanted to share that he was adopted uh, to now having the documentary in the movie. I mean, I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to have life. So uh, because of that, you know, um, how does it make you feel like that your story can impact other people? Uh, we've seen people visibly be impacted by our story ever since the Island and Parker Avenue documentary released in 2018. It's impacted adoptees and birth parents and adoptive parents in ways we never would have imagined. And one of my favorite stories, I was speaking at a, a high school in California and this girl, you know, it was a big gym and I was doing a Q and A. And I saw this girl in the corner, like try to raise her hand and then she put it back down, up and down. And uh, I knew she wanted to share something. She finally got up and shared for the first time in front of her entire school that she was adopted. And until then she felt like she couldn't share that. So this story is impacting others in ways we never would have imagined. So Life Mark now coming out and being in theaters nationwide, we're just so excited.
Hey, isn't that so biblical that God uses someone who like <laughs> wants to be private, but then like, here you go. You're... <laughs> Absolutely. Never would have expected it. How has this helped your, you know, faith grow during this time period and, and all that stuff? It's, it's, uh, my faith has grown a lot in the past few years. Just being able to trust that God is using this story in a way that I can't comprehend yet. And, I mean, you, you've seen God work through the story ever since 1993 when my birth mother left an abortion clinic. Uh, and you've seen him now, you know, help us reunite. And so to see him working through the story to impact others, I'm just glad to be a part of it. Now, this is an interesting time period for this movie to come out, which is actually kind of you know, God ordained as well. Um, Cause you guys making the movie, it probably you didn't expect it even to come out during this time period. But what would you kind of say to that point? This wasn't plans. Let me just say that, right? I mean, this is just God's providential timing. This movie was supposed to happen a few years ago. And then yeah. like all things COVID, you know, caused the delay. Uh, and the fact that it's now happening at this moment in time, this shows the fact that God is working through this story. This movie will save lives and it will build families through adoption. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. We hope you will join us every Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope you will support this show and all of our broadcasts by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating the pro-life community to end abortion. As Mother Angelica, founder of EWTN, would say, Please keep us between your gas and electric bill. Do you have an idea for a story? Are you someone whose baby was saved because of the help of a sidewalk counselor? Or would you like to expose something in the abortion industry? Then please email us at media at priestsforlife.org. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. And I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.